Section 1 of The Firm of Nuzigen by Honoré de Balzac Translated by James Waring This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by James Carson Section 1 To Madame Zulma Carot to whom madame but to you should i inscribe this work to you whose lofty and candid intellect is a treasury to your friends to you that are to me not only a whole public but the most indulgent of sisters as well will you deign to accept a token of the friendship of which i am proud you and some few souls as noble will grasp the whole of the thought underlying the firm of Nuzigen, appended to César Birotteau. Is there not a whole social lesson in the contrast between the two stories? De Balzac The firm of Nuzigen. You know how slight the partitions are between the private rooms of fashionable restaurants in Paris. Verrie's largest room, for instance, is cut in two by a removable screen. This scene is not laid at Verrie's, but in snug quarters, which for reasons of my own I forbear to specify. We were too, so I will say, like Henri Monnier's Prudhomme. I should not like to compromise her. We had remarked the want of solidity in the wall structure, so we talked with lowered voices as we sat together in the little private room lingering over the dainty dishes of a dinner exquisite in more senses than one we had come as far as the roast however and still we had no neighbours no sound came from the next room save the crackling of the fire but when the clock struck eight we heard voices and noisy footsteps the waiters brought candles evidently there was a party assembled in the next room and at the first words i knew at once with whom we had to do four bold comorants as ever sprang from the foam on the crests of the ever-rising waves of this present generation four pleasant young fellows whose existence was problematical since they were not known to possess either stock or landed estates yet they lived and lived well these ingenious condottieri of a modern industrialism that has come to be the most ruthless of all warfares leave anxieties to their creditors and keeps the pleasures for themselves they are careful for nothing save dress still with the courage of the jambon order they will smoke cigars on a barrel of powder perhaps by way of keeping up their character with a quizzing humour that outdoes the minor newspapers sparing no one not even themselves clear-sighted wary keen after business grasping yet open-handed envious yet self-complacent profound politicians by fits and starts analyzing everything guessing everything not one of these in question as yet had contrived to make his way in the world which they chose for their scene of operations 
only one of the four indeed had succeeded in coming as far as the foot of the ladder to have money is nothing the self-made man only finds out all that he lacks after six months of flatteries and doche finot the self-made man in question stiff taciturn cold and dull-witted possessed the sort of spirit which will not shrink from grovelling before any creature that may be of use to him and the cunning to be insolent when he needs a man no longer like one of the grotesque figures in the ballet in gustave he has a marquee behind a boar in front and this high priest of commerce had a following emile blondet journalist with abundance of intellectual power reckless brilliant and indolent could do anything that he chose yet he submitted to be exploited with his eyes open treacherous or kind upon impulse a man to love but not to respect quick-witted as a soubrette unable to refuse his pen to any one that asked or his heart to the first that would borrow it emile was the most fascinating of these light of loves of whom a fantastic modern wit declared that he liked them better in satin slippers than in boots the third of the party couture by name lived by speculation grafting one affair upon another to make the gains pay for the losses he was always between wind and water keeping himself afloat by his bold sudden strokes and the nervous energy of his play hither and thither he would swim over the vast sea of interests in paris in quest of some little isle that should be so far a debatable land that he might abide upon it clearly couture was not in his proper place as for the fourth and most malicious personage his name will be enough it was bixiou not alas the bixiou of eighteen twenty five but the bixiou of eighteen thirty six a misanthropic buffoon acknowledged supreme by reason of his energetic and caustic wit a very fiend let loose now that he saw how he had squandered his intellect in pure waste a bixiou vexed by the thought that he had not come by his share of the wreckage in the last revolution a bixiou with a kick for every one like pierrot at funambules bixiou had the whole history of his own times at his finger ends more particularly its scandalous chronicle embellished by added wageries of his own he sprang like a clown upon everybody's back only to do his utmost to leave the executioner's brand upon every pair of shoulders the first cravings of gluttony satisfied our neighbours reached the stage at which we also had arrived to wit the dessert and as we made no sign they believed that they were alone thanks to the champagne the talk grew confidential as they dallied with the dessert amid the cigar smoke yet through it all you felt the influence of the icy esprit that leaves the most spontaneous feeling frost-bound and stiff that checks the most generous inspirations and gives a sharp ring to the laughter 
their table talk was full of bitter irony which turns a jest into a sneer it told of the exhaustion of souls given over to themselves of lives with no end in view but the satisfaction of self of egoism induced by these times of peace in which we live i can think of nothing like it save a pamphlet against mankind at large which diderot was afraid to publish a book that bears man's breast simply to expose the plague sores upon it we listened to just such a pamphlet as rameau's nephew spoken aloud in all good faith in the course of after-dinner talk in which nothing not even the point which the speaker wished to carry was sacred from epigram nothing taken for granted nothing built up except on ruins nothing reverenced save the sceptic's adopted article of belief the omnipotence omniscience and universal applicability of money after some target practice at the outer circle of their acquaintances they turned their ill-natured shafts on their intimate friends with a sign i explained my wish to stay and listen as soon as bixiou took up his parable as will shortly be seen and so we listened to one of those terrific improvisations which won that artist such a name among a certain set of seared and jaded spirits and often interrupted and resumed though it was memory serves me as a reporter of it the opinions expressed and the form of expression lie alike outside the conditions of literature it was more properly speaking a medley of sinister revelations that paint our age to which indeed no other kind of story should be told and besides i throw all the responsibility upon the principal speaker the pantomime and the gestures that accompanied bixiou's changes of voice as he acted the parts of the various persons must have been perfect judging by the applause and admiring comments that broke from his audience of three then did rastignac refuse asked blondet apparently addressing finot point-blank but did you threaten him with the newspapers asked bixiou he began to laugh returned finot rastignac is the late lamented de marsay's direct heir he will make his way politically as well as socially commented blondet but how did he make his money asked couture in eighteen nineteen both he and the illustrious biencon lived in a shabby boarding-house in the latin quarter his people ate roast cockchafers and their own wine so as to send him a hundred francs every month his father's property was not worth a thousand crowns he had two sisters and a brother on his hands and now now he has an income of forty thousand livres continued finot his sisters had a handsome fortune apiece and married into noble families he leaves his mother a life interest in the property even in eighteen twenty seven i have known him without a penny said blondet oh in eighteen twenty seven said bixiou 
well resumed finot yet to-day as we see he is in a fair way to be a minister a peer of france anything that he likes he broke decently with delphine three years ago he will not marry except on good grounds and he may marry a girl of noble family the chap had the sense to take up with a wealthy woman my friends give him the benefit of extenuating circumstances urged blondet when he escaped the clutches of want he dropped into the claws of a very clever man you know what nucingen is said bixiou in the early days delphine and rastignac thought him good-natured he seemed to regard a wife as a plaything an ornament in his house and that very fact showed me that the man was square at the base as well as in height added bixiou nucingen makes no bones about admitting that his wife is his fortune she is an indispensable chattel but a wife takes a second place in the high-pressure life of a political leader and great capitalist he once said in my hearing that bonaparte had blundered like a bourgeois in his early relations with josephine and that after he had had the spirit to use her as a stepping-stone he had made himself ridiculous by trying to make a companion of her any man of unusual powers is bound to take oriental views of women said blondet the baron blended the opinions of east and west in a charming parisian creed he abhorred de marsay de marsay was unmanageable but with rastignac he was much pleased he exploited him though rastignac was not aware of it all the burdens of married life were put on him rastignac bore the brunt of delphine's whims he escorted her to the bois de boulogne he went with her to the play and the little politician and great man of to-day spent a good deal of his life at that time in writing dainty notes eugene was scolded for little nothings from the first he was in good spirits when delphine was cheerful and drooped when she felt low he bore the weight of her confidences and her ailments he gave up his time the hours of his precious youth to fill the empty void of that fair parisienne's idleness delphine and he held high councils on the toilettes which went best together he stood the fire of bad temper and broadsides of pouting fits while she by way of trimming the balance was very nice to the baron as for the baron he laughed in his sleeve but whenever he saw that rastignac was bending under the strain of the burden he made as if he suspected something and reunited the lovers by a common dread i can imagine that a wealthy wife would have put rastignac in the way of a living and an honourable living but where did he pick up his fortune asked couture a fortune so considerable as his at the present day must come from somewhere and nobody ever accused him of inventing a good stroke of business somebody left it to him said finot who asked blondet some fool that he came across suggested couture he did not steal the whole of it my little dears said bixiou 
let not your terrors rise to fever heat our age is lenient with those who cheat now i will tell you about the beginnings of his fortune in the first place honour to talent our friend is not a chap as finot describes him but a gentleman in the english sense who knows the cards and knows the game whom moreover the gallery respects rastignac has quite as much intelligence as is needed at a given moment as if a soldier should make his courage payable at ninety days sight with three witnesses and guarantees he may seem captious wrong-headed inconsequent vacillating and without any fixed opinions but let something serious turn up some combination to scheme out he will not scatter himself like blondet there who chooses these occasions to look at things from his neighbour's point of view rastignac concentrates himself pulls himself together looks for the point to carry by storm and goes full tilt for it he charges like a marat breaks squares pounds away at shareholders promoters and the whole shop and returns when the breach is made to his lazy careless life once more he becomes the man of the south the man of pleasure the trifling idle rastignac he has earned the right of lying in bed till noon because a crisis never finds him asleep so far so good but just get to his fortune said finot bixiou will lash that off at a stroke replied blondet rastignac's fortune was delphine de nucingen a remarkable woman she combines boldness with foresight did she ever lend you money inquired bixiou everybody burst out laughing you are mistaken in her said couture speaking to blondet her cleverness simply consists in making more or less piquant remarks in loving rastignac with tedious fidelity and obeying him blindly she is a regular italian money apart androche finot put in sourly oh come come said bixiou coaxingly after what we have just been saying will you venture to blame poor rastignac for living at the expense of the firm of nucingen for being installed in furnished rooms precisely as la torpille was once installed by our friend de Lupole? you would sink to the vulgarity of the rue saint denis first of all in the abstract as royer collard says the question may abide the critique of pure reason as for the impure reason there he goes said finot turning to blondet but there is a reason in what he says exclaimed blondet the problem is a very old one it was the grand secret of the famous duel between la chataille and jarnac it was cast up to jarnac that he was on good terms with his mother-in-law who loving him only too well equipped him sumptuously when a thing is too true it ought not to be said out of devotion to henry the second who permitted himself this slander la chataille took it upon himself and there followed the duel which enriched the french language with the expression coup de jarnac 
ah does it go so far back then it is noble said finot as a proprietor of newspapers and reviews of old standing you are not bound to know that said blondet there are women bixiou gravely resumed and for that matter men too who can cut their lives in two and give away but one half remark how i word my phrase for you in humanitarian language for these all material interests lie without the range of sentiment they give their time their life their honour to a woman and hold that between themselves it is not the thing to meddle with bits of tissue paper bearing the legend forgery is punishable with death and equally they will take nothing from a woman yes the whole thing is debased if fusion of interests follows on fusion of souls this is a doctrine much preached and very seldom practised oh what rubbish cried blondet the marechal de richelieu understood something of gallantry and he settled an allowance of a thousand louis d'or on madame de la popeliniere after that affair of the hiding-place behind the hearth agnes sorel in all simplicity took her fortune to charles the seventh and the king accepted it jacques coeur kept the crown for france he was allowed to do it and womanlike france was ungrateful gentlemen said bixiou a love that does not imply an indissoluble friendship to my thinking is momentary libertinage what sort of entire surrender is it that keeps something back between these two diametrically opposed doctrines the one as profoundly immoral as the other there is no possible compromise it seems to me that any shrinking from a complete union is surely due to a belief that the union cannot last and if so farewell to illusion the passion that does not believe that it will last for ever is a hideous thing here is pure unadulterated fenelon for you at the same time those who know the world the observer the man of the world the wearers of irreproachable gloves and ties the men who do not blush to marry a woman for her money proclaim the necessity of a complete separation of sentiment and interest the other sort are lunatics that love and imagine that they and the woman they love are the only two things in the world for them millions are dirt the glove or the camellia flower that she wore is worth millions if the squandered filthy lucre is never to be found again in their possession you find the remains of floral relics hoarded in dainty cedarwood boxes they cannot distinguish themselves one from the other for them there is no i left thou that is their word made flesh what can you do can you stop the course of this hidden disease of the heart there are fools that love without calculation and wise men that calculate while they love to my thinking bixiou is sublime cried blondet what does finot say to it anywhere else said finot drawing himself up in his cravat anywhere else i should say with the gentleman 
but here i think with the scoundrelly scapegoats with whom you have the honour to associate said bixiou upon my word yes and you asked bixiou turning to couture stuff and nonsense cried couture the woman that will not make a stepping-stone of her body that the man she singles out may reach his goal is a woman that has no heart except for her own purposes and you blondet i do not preach i practice very good rejoined bixiou in his most ironical tones rastignac was not of your way of thinking to take without repaying is detestable and even rather bad form but to take that you may render a hundredfold like the lord is a chivalrous deed this was rastignac's view he felt profoundly humiliated by his community of interests with delphine de nucingen i can tell you that he regretted it i have seen him deploring his position with tears in his eyes yes he shed tears he did indeed after supper well now to our way of thinking i say you are laughing at us said finot not the least in the world we are talking of rastignac from your point of view his affliction would be a sign of his corruption for by that time he was not nearly so much in love with delphine what would you have he felt the prick in his heart poor fellow but he was a man of noble descent and profound depravity whereas we are virtuous artists so rastignac meant to enrich delphine he was a poor man she was a rich woman would you believe it he succeeded rastignac who might have fought at need like jarnac went over to the opinion of henry the second on the strength of his great maxim there is no such thing as absolute right there are only circumstances this brings us to the history of his fortune you might just as well make a start with your story instead of drawing us on to traduce yourself said blondet with urbane good humour aha my boy returned bixiou administering a little tap to the back of blondet's head you are making up for lost time over the champagne oh by the sacred name of shareholder get on with your story cried couture i was within an ace of it retorted bixiou but you with your profanity have brought me to the climax then are there shareholders in the tale inquired finot yes rich as rich can be like yours it seems to me finot began stiffly that some consideration is owing to a good fellow to whom you look for a bill for five hundred francs upon occasion waiter called bixiou what do you want with the waiter asked blondet i want five hundred francs to repay finot so that i can tear up my i o u and set my tongue free get on with your story said finot making believe to laugh i take you all to witness that i have not the property of this insolent fellow who fancies that my silence is worth no more than five hundred francs you will never be a minister if you cannot gauge people's consciences there my good finot he added soothingly i will get on with my story without personalities and we shall be quits now 
said Couture with a smile. He will begin to prove for our benefit that Nucingen made Rastignac's fortune. You are not so far out as you think, returned Bixiou. You do not know what Nucingen is, financially speaking. Do you know so much as a word as to his beginning? asked Blondet. I have only known him in his own house, said Bixiou, but we may have seen each other in the street in the old days. The prosperity of the firm of Nucingen is one of the most extraordinary things seen in our days, began Blondet. In 1804, Nucingen's name was scarcely known. At that time, bankers would have shuddered at the idea of 300,000 francs worth of his acceptances in the market. The great capitalist felt his inferiority. How was he to get known? He suspended payment. Good. Every market rang with a name hitherto only known in Strasbourg and the Quartier Poissonniere. He issued deposit certificates to his creditors and resumed payment. Forthwith people grew accustomed to his paper all over France. Then an unheard-of thing happened. His paper revived, was in demand, and rose in value. Nucingen's paper was much inquired for. The year 1815 arrives. My banker calls in his capital, buys up government stock before the Battle of Waterloo, suspends payment again in the thick of the crisis, and meets his engagements with shares in the Wurstchamp mines, which he himself issued at twenty per cent more than he gave for them. Yes, gentlemen, he took a hundred and fifty thousand bottles of champagne of Grande to cover himself, foreseeing the failure of the virtuous parent of the present Comte d'Aubriant, and as much Bordeaux wine of Duberg at the same time those three hundred thousand bottles which he took over and took at thirty sous apiece my dear boy he supplied at the price of six francs per bottle to the allies in the palais royal during the foreign occupation between eighteen seventeen and eighteen nineteen nucingen's name and his paper acquired a european celebrity the illustrious baron so far from being engulfed like others rose the higher for calamities twice his arrangements had paid holders of his paper uncommonly well he tried to swindle them impossible he is supposed to be as honest a man as you will find when he suspends payment a third time his paper will circulate in asia mexico and australia among the aborigines no one but ouvrard saw through this alsatian banker the son of some jew or other converted by ambition ouvrard said when nucingen lets gold go you may be sure that it is to catch diamonds his crony du Tulay, is just such another said finot and mind you that of birth du Tulay has just precisely as much as is necessary to exist the chap had not a farthing in eighteen fourteen and you see what he is now and he has done something that none of us has managed to do i am not speaking of you couture he has had friends instead of enemies in fact 
he has kept his past life so quiet that unless you rake the sewers you are not likely to find out that he was an assistant in a perfumer's shop in the rue saint honore no further back than eighteen fourteen tut 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 said bixiou do not think of comparing nucingen with a little dabbler like du tillet a jackal that gets on in life through his sense of smell he scents a carcass by instinct and comes in time to get the best bone besides just look at the two men the one has a sharp pointed face like a cat he is thin and lanky the other is cubical fat heavy as a sack imperturbable as a diplomatist nucingen has a thick heavy hand and lynx eyes that never light up his depths are not in front but behind he is inscrutable you never see what he is making for whereas du tillet's cunning as napoleon said to somebody i have forgotten the name is like cotton spun too fine it breaks i do not myself see that nucingen has any advantage over du tillet said blondet unless it is that he has the sense to see that a capitalist ought not to rise higher than a baron's rank while du tillet has a mind to be an italian count blondet one word my boy put in couture in the first place nucingen dared to say that honesty is simply a question of appearances and secondly to know him well you must be in business yourself with him banking is but a single department and a very small one he holds government contracts for wines wools indigos anything in short on which any profit can be made he has an all-round genius the elephant of finance would contract to deliver votes on a division or the greeks to the turks for him business means the sum total of varieties as cousin would say the unity of specialities looked at in this way banking becomes a kind of statecraft in itself requiring a powerful head and a man thoroughly tempered is drawn on to set himself above the laws of a morality that cramps him right my son said blondet but we and we alone can comprehend that this means bringing war into the financial world a banker is a conquering general making sacrifices on a tremendous scale to gain ends that no one perceives his soldiers are private people's interests he has stratagems to plan out partisans to bring into the field ambushes to set towns to take most men of this stamp are so close upon the borders of politics that in the end they are drawn into public life and thereby lose their fortunes the firm of necker for instance was ruined in this way the famous samuel bernard was all but ruined some great capitalist in every age makes a colossal fortune and leaves behind him neither fortune nor a family there was the firm of paris brothers for instance that helped to pull down law there was law himself beside whom other promoters of companies are but pygmies there was bourret and beaujon none of them left any representative finance like time devours its own children 
if the banker is to perpetuate himself he must found a noble house a dynasty like the fuggers of antwerp that lent money to charles v and were created princes of babenhausen a family that exists at this day in the almanac de gotha the instinct of self-preservation working it may be unconsciously leads the banker to seek a title jacques coeur was the founder of a great noble house of noirmoutier extinct in the reign of louis the thirteenth what power that man had he was ruined for making a legitimate king and he died prince of an island in the archipelago where he built a magnificent cathedral oh you are giving us a historical lecture we are wandering away from the present the crown has no right of conferring nobility and barons and counts are made with closed doors what is the pity said finot you regret the times of the savonnette avilain when you could buy an office that ennobled asked bixiou you are right je reviens à nos moutons do you know beaudenor no 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 ah well see how all things pass away poor fellow ten years ago he was the flower of dandyism and now so thoroughly absorbed that you no more know him than finot just now knew the origin of the expression coup de jarnac i repeat that simply for the sake of illustration and not to tease you finot well it is a fact he belonged to the faubourg saint germain beaudenord is the first pigeon that i will bring on the scene and in the first place his name was godefroy de beaudenord neither finot nor blondet nor couture nor i am likely to undervalue such an advantage as that after a ball when a score of pretty women stand behooded waiting for their carriages with their husbands and adorers at their sides beaudenord could hear his people called without a pang of mortification in the second place he rejoiced in the full complement of limbs he was whole and sound had no moat in his eyes no false hair no artificial calves he was neither knock-kneed nor bandy-legged his dorsal column was straight his waist slender his hands white and shapely his hair was black he was of a complexion neither too pink like a grocer's assistant nor yet too brown like a calabrese finally and this is an essential point beaudenord was not too handsome like some of our friends that look rather too much of professional beauties to be anything else but no more of that we have said it it is shocking well he was a crack shot and sat a horse to admiration he had fought a duel for a trifle and had not killed his man if you wish to know in what pure complete and unadulterated happiness consists in this nineteenth century in paris the happiness that is to say of a young man of twenty-six do you realize that you must enter into the infinitely small details of existence beaudenord's bootmaker had precisely hit off his style of foot he was well shod his tailor loved to clothe him Godefroy neither rolled his r's nor lapsed into normanisms or gascon he spoke pure and correct french 
and tied his cravat correctly like finot he had neither father nor mother such luck had he and his guardian was the marquis d'aglemont his cousin by marriage he could go among city people as he chose and the faubourg saint germain could make no objection for fortunately a young bachelor is allowed to make his own pleasure his sole rule of life he is at liberty to betake himself wherever amusement is to be found and to shun the gloomy places where cares flourish and multiply finally he has been vaccinated you know what i mean blondet and yet in spite of all these virtues continued bixiou he might very well have been a very unhappy young man eh eh that word happiness unhappily seems to us to mean something absolute a delusion which sets so many wise acres inquiring what happiness is a very clever woman said that happiness was where you chose to put it she formulated a dismal truth said blondet and a moral added finot double distilled said blondet happiness like good like evil is relative wherefore la fontaine used to hope that in the course of time the damned would feel as much at home in hell as a fish in water la fontaine's sayings are known in philistia put in bixiou happiness at six-and-twenty in paris is not the happiness of six-and-twenty at say blois continued blondet taking no notice of the interruption and those that proceed from this text to rail on the instability of opinion are either knaves or fools for their pains modern medicine which passed it is its fairest title to glory from a hypothetical to a positive science through the influence of the great analytical school of paris has proved beyond a doubt that a man is periodically renewed throughout new haft new blade like genot's knife and yet you think that he is still the same man broke in bixio so there are several lozenges in the harlequin's coat that we can call happiness and well there was neither hole nor stain in this godfroy's costume a young man of six-and-twenty who would be happy in love who would be loved that is to say not for his blossoming youth nor for his wit nor for his figure but spontaneously and not even merely in return for his own love a young man i say who has found love in the abstract to quote royer collard might yet very possibly find never a farthing in the purse which she loving and beloved embroidered for him he might owe rent to his landlord he might be unable to pay the bootmaker before mentioned his very tailor like france herself might at last show signs of disaffection in short he might have love and yet be poor and poverty spoils a young man's happiness unless he holds our transcendental views of the fusion of interests i know nothing more wearing than happiness within combined with adversity without it is as if you had one leg freezing in the draught from the door and the other half roasted by the brazier 
as i have at this moment i hope to be understood comes there an echo from my waistcoat pocket blondet between ourselves let the heart alone it spoils the intellect let us resume godefroy de beaudenord was respected by his tradespeople for they were paid with tolerable regularity the witty woman before quoted i cannot give her name for she is still living thanks to her want of heart who is this the marquis despard she said that a young man ought to live on an entresol there should be no sign of domesticity about the place no cook no kitchen an old man-servant to wait upon him and no pretence of permanence in her opinion any other sort of establishment is bad form godefroy de beaudenord faithful to this programme lodged in an entresol on the quai malacquais he had however been obliged to have this much in common with married couples he had put a bedstead in his room though for that matter it was so narrow that he seldom slept in it an englishwoman might have visited his rooms and found nothing improper there finot you have yet to learn the great law of the improper that rules britain but for the sake of the bond between us that bill for a thousand francs i will just give you some idea of it i have been in england myself i will give him wit enough for a couple of thousand he added in an aside to blondet in england finot you grow extremely intimate with a woman in the course of an evening at a ball or wherever it is next day you meet her in the street and look as though you knew her again improper at dinner you discover a delightful man beneath your left-hand neighbor's dress-coat a clever man no high-mightiness no constraint nothing of an englishman about him in accordance with the tradition of french breeding so urbane so gracious as they are you address your neighbor improper at a ball you walk up to a pretty woman to ask her to dance improper you wax enthusiastic you argue laugh and give yourself out you fling yourself heart and soul into the conversation you give expression to your real feelings you play when you are at the card-table chat while you chat eat while you eat improper 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 stendhal one of the cleverest and profoundest minds of the age hit off the improper excellently well when he said that such and such a british peer did not dare to cross his legs when he sat alone before his own hearth for fear of being improper an english gentlewoman were she one of the rabid saints that most straitest sect of protestants that would leave their whole family to starve if the said family did anything improper may play the deuce's own delight in her own bedroom and need not be improper but she would look on herself as lost if she received a visit from a man of her acquaintance in the aforesaid room thanks to propriety london and its inhabitants will be found petrified some of these days and to think that there are asses here in france that want to import 
the solemn tomfoolery that the english keep up among themselves with that admirable self-possession which you know added blondet it is enough to make any man shudder if he has seen the english at home and recollects the charming gracious french manners sir walter scott was afraid to paint women as they are for fear of being improper and at the close of his life repented of the creation of the great character of effie in the heart of midlothian do you wish not to be improper in england asked bixiou addressing finot well go to the tuileries and look at a figure there something like a fireman carved in marble themistocles the statuary calls it try to walk like the commandant's statue and you will never be improper it was through strict observance of the great law of the improper that godefroy's happiness became complete there is the story Baudinord had a tiger not a groom as they write that know nothing of society the tiger a diminutive irish page called paddy toby joby which you please was three feet in height by twenty inches in breadth a weasel-faced infant with nerves of steel tempered in fire-water and agile as a squirrel he drove a landau with a skill never yet at fault in london or paris he had a lizard's eye as sharp as my own and he could mount a horse like the elder franconi with the rosy cheeks and yellow hair of one of rubens madonnas he was double-faced as a prince and as knowing as an old attorney in short at the age of ten he was nothing more or less than a blossom of depravity gambling and swearing partial to jam and punch pert as a friton impudent and light-fingered as any paris street arab he had been a source of honour and profit to a well-known english lord for whom he had already won seven hundred thousand francs on the race-course the aforesaid nobleman set no small store on toby his tiger was a curiosity the very smallest tiger in town perched aloft on the back of a thoroughbred toby looked like a hawk yet the great man dismissed him not for greediness nor for dishonesty nor murder nor rudeness to my lady nor for cutting holes in my lady's own woman's pockets nor because he had been got at by some of his master's rivals on the turf nor for playing games of a sunday nor for bad behaviour of any sort or description toby might have done all these things he might even have spoken to my lord before my lord spoke to him and his noble master might perhaps have pardoned that breach of the law domestic my lord would have put up with a good deal from toby he was very fond of him toby could drive a tandem dog-cart riding on the wheeler postillion fashion his legs did not reach the shafts he looked in fact very much like one of the cherub heads circling about the eternal father in old italian pictures but an english journalist wrote a delicious description of the little angel in the course of which he said that paddy was 
quite too pretty for a tiger in fact he offered to bet that paddy was a tame tigress the description on the heads of it was calculated to poison minds and end in something improper and the superlative of improper is the way to the gallows my lord's circumspection was highly approved by my lady but poor toby now that his precise position in insular zoology had been called in question found himself hopelessly out of place at that time godefroy had blossomed out at the french embassy in london where he learned the adventures of toby joby paddy godefroy found the infant weeping over a pot of jam he had already lost the guineas with which my lord gilded his misfortune godefroy took possession of him and so it fell out that on his return among us he brought back with him the sweetest thing in tigers from england he was known by his tiger as couture is known by his waistcoats and found no difficulty in entering the fraternity of the club yclept to-day the grammont he had renounced a diplomatic career he ceased accordingly to alarm the susceptibilities of the ambitious and as he had no very dangerous amount of intellect he was well looked upon everywhere some of us would feel mortified if we saw only smiling faces wherever we went we enjoy the sour contortions of envy godefroy did not like to be disliked everyone has his taste now for the solid practical aspects of life the distinguishing feature of his chambers where i have licked my lips over breakfast more than once was a mysterious dressing-closet nicely decorated and comfortably appointed with a grate in it and a bath-tub it gave upon a narrow staircase the folding doors were noiseless the locks well oiled the hinges discreet the window panes of frosted glass the curtain impervious to light while the bedroom was as it ought to have been in a fine disorder which would suit the most exacting painter in water-colours while everything therein was redolent of the bohemian life of a young man of fashion the dressing-closet was like a shrine white spotless neat and warm there were no draughts from door or window the carpet had been made soft for bare feet hastily put to the floor in a sudden panic of alarm which stamps him as your thoroughbred dandy that knows life for here in a few moments he may show himself either a noodle or a master in those little details in which a man's character is revealed the marquis previously quoted no it was the marquis de rochefide came out of that dressing-closet in a furious rage and never went back again she discovered nothing improper in it godefroy used to keep a little cupboard full of waistcoats suggested finot come now just like you great tourcorette that you are i shall never form that fellow why no full of cakes and fruit and dainty little flasks of malaga and lunnel an encasse de nuit in louis quatorze style anything that can tickle the delicate and well 
half-bred appetite of sixteen quarterings a knowing old man-servant very strong in matters veterinary waited on the horses and groomed godefroy he had been with the late monsieur de beaudenord godefroy's father and bore godefroy an inveterate affection a kind of heart complaint which has almost disappeared among domestic servants since savings banks were established all material well-being is based on arithmetic you to whom paris is known down to its very excrescences will see that beaudenord must have acquired about seventeen thousand livres per annum for he paid some seventeen francs of taxes and spent a thousand crowns on his own whims well dear boys when godefroy came of age the marquis d'anglemont submitted to him such an account of his trust as none of us would be likely to give a nephew godefroy's name was inscribed as the owner of eighteen thousand livres of rents a remnant of his father's wealth spared by the harrow of the great reduction under the republic and the hailstorms of imperial arrears d'aglemont that upright guardian also put his ward in possession of some thirty thousand francs of savings invested with the firm of nucingen saying with all the charm of a grand seigneur and the indulgence of a soldier of the empire that he had contrived to put it aside for his ward's young man's follies if you will take my advice godefroy added he instead of squandering the money like a fool as so many young men do let it go in follies that will be useful to you afterwards take an attache's post at turin and then go to naples and from naples to london and you will be amused and learn something for your money afterwards if you think of a career the time and the money will not have been thrown away the late lamented d'aglemont had more sense than people credit him with which is more than can be said of some of us a young fellow that starts with an assured income of eighteen thousand livres at one and twenty is lost said couture unless he is miserly or very much above the ordinary level added blondet well godefroy sojourned in the four capitals of italy continued bixiou he lived in england and germany he spent some little time at st petersburg he ran over holland but he parted company with the aforesaid thirty thousand francs by living as if he had thirty thousand a year everywhere he found the same supreme de volaille the same aspects and french wines he heard french spoken wherever he went in short he never got away from paris he ought of course to have tried to deprave his disposition to fence himself in triple brass to get rid of his illusions to learn to hear anything said without a blush and to master the inmost secrets of the powers pooh with a good deal of trouble he equipped himself with four languages that is to say he laid in a stock of four words for one idea then he came back and certain tedious dowagers styled conquests abroad were left disconsolate 
godefroy came back shy scarcely formed a good fellow with a confiding disposition incapable of saying ill of any one who honoured him with an admittance to his house too staunch to be a diplomatist altogether he was what we call a thoroughly good fellow to cut it short a brat with eighteen thousand livres per annum to drop over the first investment that turns up said couture that confounded couture has such a habit of anticipating dividends that he is anticipating the end of my tale where was i oh Baudenord came back when he took up his abode at the quai malacquais it came to pass that a thousand francs over and above his needs was altogether insufficient to keep up his share of a box at the italiens and the opera properly when he lost twenty-five or thirty louis at play at one swoop naturally he paid when he won he spent the money so should we if we were fools enough to be drawn into a bet Baudenord, feeling pinched with his eighteen thousand francs, saw the necessity of creating what we today call a balance in hand. It was a great notion of his not to get too deep. He took counsel of his sometime guardian. The funds are now at par, my dear boy, quoth d'Aiglemont. Sell out. I have sold mine and my wife's. Nucingen has all my capital and is giving me six per cent do likewise you will have one per cent the more upon your capital and with that you will be quite comfortable in three days time our godfar was comfortable his increase of income exactly supplied his superfluities his material happiness was complete suppose that it were possible to read the minds of all the young men in paris at one glance as it appears will be done at the day of judgment with all the millions upon millions that have grovelled in all spheres and worn all uniforms or the uniform of nature and to ask them whether happiness at six-and-twenty is or is not made up of the following items to wit to own a saddle-horse and a tilbury or a cab with a fresh rosy-faced toby joby paddy no bigger than your fist and to hire an unimpeachable brougham for twelve francs an evening to appear elegantly arrayed agreeably to the laws that regulate a man's clothes at eight o'clock at noon four o'clock in the afternoon and in the evening to be well received at every embassy and to cull the short-lived flowers of superficial cosmopolitan friendships to be not insufferably handsome to carry your head your coat and your name well to inhabit a charming little entresol after the pattern of the rooms just described at the quai malacquais to be able to ask a party of friends to dine at the rocher de cancale without a previous consultation with your trousers pocket never to be pulled up in any rational project by the words and the money and finally to be able to renew at pleasure the pink rosettes that adorn the ears of three thoroughbreds and the lining of your hat end of section one